Um, tonight, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Before we go there, though, I do want to just slow down a minute before we just jump into the message and tonight. Um, I don't know what you came in to tonight, like what life is like for you right now, this current stage. Um, I do think that sometimes we can um, get caught up in the routine of life, and sometimes that could be the routine of just coming to youth group, that you come and you do what you should do, and then you leave, and all the while, you could do all of these things with uh, a disconnected heart, and even like we talked about this morning with a distracted heart, and so I kind of just want to sit in the moment real fast, because we just sang about, with the powerful bridge, uh, show us, show us your glory, show us, show us your power, all the while not looking for it or not ready for it. It's, it's as almost, if we were to sing that and just not address it, it'd be almost like praying for rain but never bringing an umbrella. God, show us your glory. Show us your power. And I think that's profound, that we would desire that God would show himself to us. And I think that that can happen in a youth group setting, okay? I, I think like tonight, what, what happens here at youth group, the, the games and the hanging out, sometimes we can just think, well, we didn't, we didn't do anything. But there's something that happens there. There's something that happens in that moment when a peer or an adult just checks in with the student, says, hey, how was your week? How's school going for you? How's... How was the test? I know you were worried about that. There's something powerful that happens in that moment. There's something powerful that happens when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and sing together and with unified voice and unified hearts, hopefully, where we say, God, show us your glory. God, show us your power. Like there's something that happens in that moment too. And there's something that happens when we open up God's word together and we sit under it and we just let it just read us as we read it. You know, there's something powerful that can happen in a setting like this, and we don't have a lot of frills here, and I, I'm unapologetic about that, that I, I want us to sit under God's word and that God's word would capture our hearts. I would like to think that people just show up because I'm a pretty neat guy, but that is not the case. You know, people, you guys come because you want to be in a community with people, you want and desire worship. You want to sit under God's word and you want to do that in a group setting. And that's a powerful thing. I don't want to undermine what actually happens here at youth group. There's a lot of things that happen, even in the silliness of the hot seat. There's something that happens. There's some walls that can possibly come down from a student who's maybe just coming up with their defenses up. And there's something that can happen. And something can happen tonight in your heart too. Whether you have been at perfect attendance since whenever you were born. What is it, 2008 now? Is that realistic? I don't know. I don't know how old you guys are. I don't know when you were born. I just know that you don't remember 9-11. That's all I remember. <laughs> so I know where I was. Where were you? You were in your, the womb still, maybe even a thought. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know what's realistic and what's not. Um, I'm 32. I'll wear my hat forwards eventually. 
<laughs> but that is not this day. <laughs> so, so, but I really think that like being together in this type of thing, things can happen. And I don't want to undermine what can actually happen when we just sit and we purposefully and intentionally allow God's word to shape our hearts. Okay, so um, I want us to do something that's a little different. We don't actually do this a lot, but I'm just going to ask you to just have your hands out in front of you as if I were going to place a box in front of you. And you're just going to receive that box. There's nothing magical about this, okay? This is just a way for us to position our heart, okay? So don't freak out. Don't wig out. I'm not going to do anything weird. But just hold your hands out in front of you, and we're just going to pray with hands open. God, we receive what it is that you have for us tonight. I don't know what that is for each student, um, but I know, Lord, that when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that you, you are here. You're present. And so, Lord, I know that you can address every single need of ours with the gospel. And I pray that students and leaders tonight God, that we would sense your nearness and your presence, God. So Lord, we receive what you have for us tonight and may it be found directly in your word. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for humoring me in that. Um, I wanna start today's message with a question that you may or may not have ever thought about um, or maybe not thought about in a long time. And a question, I just want you to think about it is what is your phrase, what do you say when you want people to believe you? Like you say something, and then you want people to believe you, you want to gain trust, and so you say these key phrases. What are those things that you say? For some of you, it may be words like, dude, I swear. I swear I can dunk. Right, Hobie? Yeah. You know, I swear I can dunk. Who says I swear? It's okay, I'm not, yeah, I swear. Um, I promise. Any promisers out there? I promise. Okay, okay. Uh, Peaky promisers, where you at? Hold it up proudly. Peaky's unite. Yeah? No? Okay. Um, maybe like if you were in elementary school, you heard, cross my heart, hope to die. Well, then what? It gets morbid <laughs> real fast. Stick a needle in my eye to show I'm serious. I will stick a needle in my eye if what I say is not true. <laughs> we took a weird turn there, didn't we? we? We have a bizarre way of showing people that we're serious or I can be trusted, okay? We have some bizarre ways of doing that. Unfortunately, we are a people that doesn't trust what others say. Just to prove my point, five to seven years ago, there was a study done that says about 60% of students in the U.S., that's you all, admitted to lying to a friend or a peer in the last three months. You may think that's not that shocking because I did that. I'm a part of that statistic, you know? Um, but a third of those students in the U.S. admitted to cheating on a test in that same time period. Like, we have a problem with being untrustworthy. We have a problem with not telling the truth. And what's really sad about that statistic is that 60% of students admitted to lying to a friend. To a friend. 
Like that's, that's serious. I'm going to share why this is serious because whether we realize it or not, we value honesty in our relationships. And whether you were able to verbalize that or not, I think we would all value it. It would hurt you if a friend wasn't honest to you. You're like, man, I, I feel like I'm a safe person. I felt like we, we could share this and not worry about what the other person thinks. I've, I would like to think that we could be honest here, but if a friend isn't honest with you, like that hurts. And the reason why it hurts is because we value honesty. We value integrity in our relationships. And if you have solid friends that love and trust one another, you have a rare find. You have a rare circle of friends if you can just fully love and trust them. Now, trust, in the context of relationships, I've probably shared this before, trust in the context of relationships is thrown out in buckets and filled back up in teaspoons. Trust is thrown out in buckets and it's filled back up in teaspoons. Now, you know this is true. In other words, it takes one moment, it takes one bad moment to spill the entire trust bucket. You could have 10 years of trustworthiness, of upright, upstanding living, and you have one bad moment, and your trust bucket with that person is now empty. In other words, it takes one moment to throw out an entire relationship, but it takes moments upon moments upon moments upon moments to fill that very same bucket. So what do you do when you've found yourself in a situation where your words haven't been accurate to the way that you've lived? What do you do when what you say doesn't look like anything that you would actually do? You haven't been honest. You've been living a lie. You can say all the right things, but your heart and your actions are actually showing another way of living. We're going to look at a passage today in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to confront the problem of empty words and empty promises. And he's going to also give us the solution in the very same passage. So um, I want to give us the big idea, the overarching point today when it comes to this. Disciples of Jesus should be true to their very core. Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus should be true to their very core. The passage is found in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Matthew 5, 33 through 37, it says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. So, we're continuing to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. This is like week five or six for us. And if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, I know last week was kind of a weird week and we've had some spottiness here and there. But 
Um, we have our messages up on podcasts. If you can find those on Spotify or podcasts or whatever it is you listen to those. Um, but if, you, if you've missed those, you can really briefly, I'm just going to bring us up to speed um, really briefly. Um, and basically, in the verses above this passage, Jesus, and throughout actually, Jesus is raising the bar in every way. In every way, he is just taking what is expected from the world and is just saying, it's actually up here. It's not here at all. It's actually up here. Jesus is raising the bar in every way. And then he says, when it comes to murder, what does the law say about murder? You guys know it. Don't murder. Don't do it. Yeah, very good. Do not murder. But Jesus, when it comes to murder, not only addresses murder, but he addresses the problem of anger. See, the law says don't murder. But Jesus is saying, let's, let's talk about our anger, though. You've heard, don't murder, but we have to talk about this. It's an anger issue. Jesus also says, you know what the law says about adultery. What does the law say about adul- adultery? Don't do it. Don't be an adulterer. Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But we really need to address lust. Okay, he's raising the bar in every way. And so now, in this passage, Jesus continues and says, when it comes to oaths and empty and promises, we also need to address truth-telling, being true to our our very core. We need to address this. So we're going to go back up in the passage, verse 33. He says again, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Now this passage starts out, just a a classic Bible study tip here, it starts out with again. It's really weird to start something with again. It must mean that he's talking about prior things. So all these things that we've talked about with murder, adultery, with marriage and divorce, Jesus has talked about these things and he's like, in light of those things, also... You've heard it said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath. Jesus is connecting the dots, the passages above. He's bringing here, and he says marriage is something that you make a vow in. You make a vow when it comes to marriage. You make a vow to the other person. You make a vow before God. You make a vow in front of a group of people that you know and love. He goes on to say, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all either by heaven because it's God's throne or by the earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. In other words, nothing belongs to you. He says, don't take an oath either by heaven. Why? Because it's God's throne. It's not yours. It's God's throne. Or by the earth because it's his footstool. Still his. It's not yours. It's his footstool. Or by Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the city of the great king. It's important to realize that Jesus is not revoking all oaths. Even God made oaths. Paul, the guy who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, made oaths. But what's the difference for us then? You may be wondering. And the call is for honesty and integrity in every area of life. 
The calling, if I could just break it down in its simplest form, the call tonight is to have integrity and honesty in every area of your life. Stop making promises over things that don't matter. Your words mean something. And when you throw them around with half-hearted truths, which are actually no truths, are squandering a very valuable gift that the Lord gave us. The Lord gave us the gift of words and expression, and we use them flippantly. And so when we make these promises or empty promises, we use, uh, I swear, I promise, pinky promise, cross my heart, hope to die, poke myself in the eye, whatever. This passage is saying we can't swear by those things because those things aren't even ours. It's all God's. Verse 36, he goes on, do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. What's this verse really getting at? You can't make a single hair on your head black or white. You are not in control like you think you are. You're not in control like you think you are. God is the one ultimately in control of it all. From the smallest of small to the biggest of big, you have zero control in this life. God is sovereign and reigning over it all, and that is good news for us. It is good that we are not in control. Many of us, and I mean many of us, we struggle with that. We struggle with not being in control. Has there ever been a fight at your house? Be honest. Has there ever been a fight at your house over the remote control? Why? You could even be agreed to watch the same show. You just want control. You want to call the shots. There's something weird about us, that we want this idea that I have at least some part of control over my life. How did you respond when... Mom or dad took away the phone. How did you respond when mom or dad took away the car keys or the system? I mean, things get ugly, right? Because there is something in my life that I feel like I have a little bit of control and say over, and then you took it from me. That's what happens. When we have control taken from us, we lash out. It gets ugly. But we are not in control like we'd like to think that we are. We are so fickle in that losing control or the idea of control actually makes us lose control. Verse 37, Jesus says, But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. We need to be a people that say what we mean and mean what we say. No more playing games with people with these promises. Let's be people of our word in our friendships. Let's be people of our word in our dating relationships. Let's be people of our word in our casual circles. Anything beyond that is from the enemy himself. And we're going to get to this Later, I'm going to explain why, but I want to kind of touch on some application, like the so what? How can we apply this? The Old Testament allowed oaths, and Judaism considered them essential. 
Jesus surprisingly said, these oaths, these promises are actually absolutely unnecessary. They're not necessary. The message is clear. Do not hide behind your oaths or your empty promises for that keeps you from taking responsibility for what you say. Instead, live the truth of your words. Live the truth of your words and stand by everything you tell others. Say what you mean and mean what you say. When you find yourself in a relationship with someone, your words can say, I am totally and 100% devoted to you. But what would your text messages say? You may be able to erase your text messages. Your snaps disappear. You can even wipe your search history, but it doesn't mean it never happened. I have a lot to say in the context of relationships when it comes to being faithful. I look around and I even hear about relationships happening around me and it's so common to hear about how so-and-so cheated on this person and they're so-and-so, they're so dumbfounded when they realize that, oh my goodness, I can't believe this actually happened to me when actually the relationship started and kindled in unfaithfulness and it just happened to them again. To put it simply, in the context of relationships, we should simply tell the truth, which makes vows and promises and pinky promises and promise rings completely unnecessary because we will be true to our very core. Followers of Jesus should be true to our very core. The word of a follower of Jesus should be so reliable that no one asks for more. Pressing pause on this, I want to acknowledge as we go further and further into this sermon on the mount that you should probably feel the weight of what Jesus is holding over us. Like we're gonna continue going through this sermon and Ultimately, as we go through, I hope we realize I can't uphold this. I can't do it. We struggle with what I'm even talking about today. We struggle with telling the truth. We struggle with our words, and it's like, I can't uphold this, Jesus. What you're calling us to, I can't do it. And as we go further and further, I hope that you beg and plea for the Holy Spirit, that I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit to guide me. I need your Holy Spirit to direct me. I need your Holy Spirit to shape me into the image of Jesus. Because left to myself, I can't even keep my words straight. Left to myself, I can't even let my heart and my tongue speak the truth. Now, I'm thankful that we serve and worship a God who keeps his promises. I was on the campus of UMKC this week, hanging out with some people from Campus Crusade. We went around campus to ask other students about their spirituality and what they believed about Jesus and to ask them where they're at on spiritual matters. One guy that I had a chance to talk to, uh, me and another guy were talking to him and he was very open to spiritual talk. He 
pretty much an open book. Um, and he asked us at one point in the conversation, he's like, why do you believe in Jesus? Which is a great question. Probably one that you should think about. Why do you believe in Jesus? What would you say to that? Now, the question wasn't asked to me. It was to the guy that I was with. His name's Jamie. So Jamie answered. But I was like screaming on the inside. I was like, ask me. I want you to ask me. And it, it never got to me. But I was like bursting. I'm like, because Jesus is who he said he is. That's why. And that was the honest answer of what I was like about to say. It was like, man, just turn to me and ask me, why do I believe in Jesus? It's because Jesus says who he says he is. Jesus lived a life that he said he would. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament declares him. Jesus lives at him and he rose victoriously, defeating sin and death. God keeps his promises. From the Old Testament to the New Testament to the days ahead, God keeps his promises. And that is such good news for us. And that's why I believe the resurrection is the backbone of my faith. It's the reason why I follow Jesus today. Because every God, little g God, who claimed to be God, they died. And that was the end of their story. Not this one. Not Jesus. Jesus is who he said he is. He keeps his word. God keeps his promises. And that is such good news. The Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, called the shot the whole time. And we came and fill out a March Madness bracket. And the Bible called the shot of Jesus way before he even entered into the scene. God kept his promises then to send a redeemer, and this redeemer will deliver all of us from our sins, those who call upon the name of the Lord, and he also keeps his promises now, and that's good news. Amen? Let me pray for us. We'll have our time in D groups. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is full of your promises, that you are consistent you're not wishy-washy. You don't take back what you said. You're consistent. You're steady and you're sure. And Lord, we need that. Lord, give our hearts a thirst for your word. God, I pray that as we go about time in D groups, Lord, that you would just help us be a people that say what we mean and we mean what we say. Lord, help us when it comes to being truthful and having relationships that are full of honesty and integrity. God, we thank you that you displayed this best. And Holy Spirit, we need your help and we need your guidance and we need your empowerment, Lord, to fill, fulfill this calling. God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.